Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Felix Zumstein. Felix is the mastermind behind Excel Trail, a version control system for Excel workbooks, similar to how GitHub works for standard text files. He is also the creator of Excel Wings, which is the most popular open source library to program Excel with Python on both Linux and Mac, or sorry, uh, it's Mac and Windows, right? That's correct, yeah. Felix, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Hi. Yeah, this, this is a really exciting interview. I use Excel a lot at my job, and uh, I, think, I think Excel Wings plays a, gr a great role in helping us. Uh, my question to you is, you have a famous white paper called Make Excel Audit Proof. Why is this topic more relevant than ever? Um, I guess because Excel is just not, not going to go away like many of the people or managers would, would like it to be. And so you just have to look for alternatives, right? You have to look for um, the option of keeping Excel around and have your users use Excel, but then at the same time kind of try to well, get get rid of some of the quirks that Excel has, or like maybe it's it's better to say like the the way that people deal with Excel leads to these quirks, and it's not maybe Excel as such, and that's a that's why I guess um, it's you know um, it, it's time to look into this from a different angle. So. From my experience in talking to a lot of clients, um, many of them, yeah, they try to, it's, it's either Excel or it's not Excel. And then, you know, they invest a lot of money into migrating away from Excel and, and getting a product, production system out of the ground. And then once they have the production system, sometimes reality just moves so fast that the production system can't keep up with, yeah, with reality. And then people start to, to create Excel tools again on the side and they just download some data or copy paste some data from the productive system. And then kind of it's all starts over again. That's, that's a bit why we're, we're trying to kind of look at the issue in a different way and say, okay, I mean, Excel in a way is just a programming language, right? It's a bit of a funny one. It's a bit of a funky one. Um, uh, a guy at Microsoft actually he described it as being like a, a programming language which is in constant debug mode, right? <laughs> because instead of like the formulas, you usually always see the value um, which you don't see in like a more traditional programming language, where you see like the formulas, mm -hmm. and the code, but you don't see like the value, um, except if you like step through with a debugger. Mm -hmm. And so that's a bit uh, that's that's a bit what's happening with with Excel. And so we kind of try to just look at Excel as yet another programming language and try to build tools that bring developers um, like best practices and developers tool into the world of Excel, where maybe most of the people they don't have like a a formal you know computer science background. Uh, we try to make these tools accessible to the standard Excel user. That's mm -hmm. pretty much the, the way we look at things. Yeah, the uh, one thing that really caught my attention in that white paper was how 
basically how heavily Excel is relied upon in some of these massive organizations. And then when mistakes occur, I mean, like legislation gets passed <laughs> on how to manage your, you know, your data better because like shareholders lose value. And it's just, it's crazy how, um, how, uh, important it is and maybe even overlooked on like how we're managing our Excel workbooks. So I don't know if you have anything to, to add to that, but that's, that's what really caught my attention. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, I guess Excel is used across the board, across all industry, across all teams. Um, but it's probably still, um, most famously used in, in finance in finance as an industry, but also, let's say, in an accounting department in, in any company. And so uh, it, it is actually a bit, a bit surprising that, you know, such sensitive processes are still um, heavily re relying on Excel and Excel only. So, I mean, in the white paper, I, I write about, I believe, the Marks and Spencer case. So a couple of years ago, they, they published um, wrong sales figures because of a double counting issue in Excel. And I mean, you know, it's a big company, I guess, and they have money to, to tackle the important processes in a, in a bit more uh, reliable way, I guess. But then um, nevertheless, uh, you know, at the end of the quarter, probably there is some stress in getting the numbers out. And so in the end, Excel is still the thing that these people know and are most flexible with. And so that's probably how these things happen. Um, hmm. But as I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's about, um, it's not having the standard processes in place that well, developers have kind of agreed upon over the couple of last decades that makes it so hard. Um, I was also like surprised, for example, I saw, I saw a tweet most recently and the tweet was saying that Apple was actually using, well, spreadsheets. I'm not sure if in that case it was Excel right. or maybe it was Apple's um, numbers, but that doesn't make a difference. Um, so they were actually using a spreadsheet to, to do some, uh, one of the latest iPhone um, product, what was it against? Something involving the latest iPhones. I, I believe it was a, um, like an ordering process to, to get some of the parts or, or some distribution. I, uh, yeah, forget the details now, but it's also because they're, um, I think they had an IBM production system, like, uh, you know, tens of dollars per year um, system. And it couldn't, it just couldn't cater for the flexibility that they needed in that hmm. moment. And so um, they just, had to to go back to spreadsheets and that's a bit what i um what i see happening happening uh, in in the industry but i mm. believe i i forgot your initial question or kind of drifted away <laughs> well I, mainly mainly just like why why are these things more relevant than ever and then just kind of like any remarks on the the case studies in your in your white paper but I, I think we've pretty much covered it it's like yeah okay it's just cool. it's just crazy how um how prolifically these things are used but we we don't we don't put the planning into how we use them like we would some sort of 
you know, a fancy software system that we would either create or implement. Like we don't do unit testing typically. I mean, at, at least in my world, I work at in oil and gas using a lot of Excel spreadsheets. It's just an Excel spreadsheet driven world. And it's, yeah. there's a huge emphasis on doing things, making things and not a very huge emphasis on like unit testing and audit, uh, <laughs> you know, audit proofing things for, uh, anyway, it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy you're making these tools. So we'll, we'll just carry on here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I mean, unit testing is, is, is a topic which, uh, even amongst, um, seasoned developers is sometimes not a very popular thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, trying to explain the concepts to people who deal usually with PowerPoint and Excel is, is yet, you know, an even, an even, an even, um, more difficult, difficult uh, <laughs> mission, I guess, to accomplish. Yeah. I, I mean, the first, I guess you could argue like the, like maybe, you know, just even giving them these tools in their tool belt is, is considered progress. You know, uh, the, the, those weren't really, I think there's a project called Rubber Duck. It's uh, yeah. an Excel add-in. Um, but even that uh, wasn't very intuitive. Like I think the whole pie te- or the unit test set up that you have where it can just call in and it's all native Python stuff. That's what I'm all about there, but yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's uh, talking about unit tests. Um, there's a couple of, of frameworks that have emerged in, in Excel. So there is one or two, um, well, just add-ins you can download and use and they try to uh, make things work. But it's just a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of work for those developers to to bring everything into you know a unit testing framework and then also make this kind of um, it integrated with Excel with your Excel file uh, or maybe you have a couple of Excel files right so that already makes it so horrific like how do you um, call one function from a different uh, workbook from the other function where you have to unit test it's just I mean, that's like a really complete afterthought. So that's something that's really not, well, it's hard to do with Excel alone. Mm-hmm. And so um, for specifically this functionality that was actually um, wouldn't have probably wouldn't have occurred to me, but I was actually contacted by somebody um, in the industry who was telling me, Hey, uh, I'm using Excel links for unit testing spreadsheets. Um, I can't be the only one, right? And so that's kind of how I learned about it and I looked into it and I have to say that, yeah, I mean, as you say, you can just use Python with the built-in unit testing framework or you can use PyTest, uh, I guess the most popular third-party um, testing framework in, in Python. And it's just everything is there. I mean, you don't have to jump through hoops to achieve anything like, you know, set up and tear down methods on all different levels from individual functions to, to classes or to whole modules. Um, You have things like, uh, you know, that take care of the floating point inaccuracy. So you don't have to invent an own method, which, um, basically makes an almost equal comparison. And 
well, I mean, with the X-Wings functionality, which is kind of, you know, makes it easy to access into, into the cells and get maybe a whole dynamic table out, no matter how large it is. It's kind of really, really simple to, well, change a few inputs in your spreadsheet and then check if the output is what it is supposed to be. And then, I mean, that's one way you can you can use the testing framework on on Excel cells. But then you can also equally easily use it on on you know where you would expect unit tests like more traditionally, which is on the VBA part. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, you could think like VBA is is dead, right? So um, Microsoft hasn't invested a single bit in the VBA editor <laughs> uh, over the last probably 20 years and that the language hasn't evolved at all. But I mean, even though I guess a lot of people are starting to dabble around with something like Excel Wings, it's still very, very popular, right? Yeah. So, and I mean, there's a lot of legacy around. And so for that, it's it's actually really good. I mean, you just put your, your unit tests in place and you can easily um, test your VBA code. And um, I think, I mean, from, from what I hear, people are, I mean, I heard it from a, more than just that one initial um, Excel Wings user that people are actually doing it and, and finding it, uh, finding it a good addition into like, you know, that, that whole spreadsheet governance kind of framework that emerges um, more and more, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm just starting to uh, dabble with that in in my current processes, but I couldn't be more excited. Especially uh, the other thing I wanted to dig into was your uh, Git, basically the Excel trail. I think there's a lot we could just our company could benefit a lot from uh, integrating that into the mix. But uh, I'll ha- I'll have to report back to you how. That goes, but I'm I'm sure I'm sure it'll just be uh, VBA does some things really nicely, but like you said, it was an afterthought, and uh, you know for the the unit testing thing. So, anywho, um, so before starting Excel Wings, you worked in banking, and I was curious, how did that experience lead you to discover Python? So yeah, that's right. So after university, I had a uh, straight into banking, which is pretty much um, the easiest choice you have here in in Zurich in Switzerland. And um, I was then kind of dragged into these more technical teams. So at at times I was I was the only non PhD or non math physicist uh, guy in the team. And um, so the teams I was working with um, were were highly quantitative, and they were building software like risk risk systems um, to analyze, you know, stock stock risks. Um, and so we we always had the need for internal tools. And I mean, the teams have been around, and the tools have been around for also a long time. So the natural choice back then was for any non-native uh, computer scientist was to go with MATLAB. 
And I guess back then there wasn't much, much of a better choice to achieve, um, you know, the mathematical uh, calculations that people in banking and, and, and risk teams have to do. And it's, it's, it's an ideal language for, for people, as I said, who don't have a, a mathematical, uh, a computer science background. So people who don't feel comfortable doing some C++, I guess, or anything back then. Um, but they just had, they just wanted to get the job done and Excel at some point, you know, well, wasn't good enough. So that was a very, a very good choice. Some, I don't know, some 20 years ago, hmm. but then, well, I guess software development evolved and, and the web, the web technology emerged. And so, you know how it is, right? You have, you have a large uh, legacy code base in MATLAB and then you just, you know, look for building around some nice web UI around it. And so you stick with it and you just kind of try to marry it with whatever technology you use on, on, on the front end side. So in our case, in, in banking, that was basically .NET world. And they were building ASP.NET um, uh, front ends. Uh, yeah, based on, on, on the Microsoft, uh, well, web technology. And so they, um, well, MathWorks, the company behind MATLAB, they, they also caught up and, and, you know, gave you some compilers so that you can basically make a, a black box, um, a black box code out of your MATLAB engine and then kind of stick it into a .NET front end hmm. solution. But the issue, and that's exactly what, what, what they did um, in, in banking. So the issue with that is that um, you have this, this, this uh, classic barrier between the, 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 the programmers who were doing the, the web front end and then the, the mathematicians and the physicists and the engineers who were doing the MATLAB um, risk calculations and it was just basically a black I mean to the to the uh, to the front-end developers the MATLAB engine was just a black box that was accepting some inputs and was spitting out some outputs and usually that was like okay um, the outputs was you know big arrays it wasn't efficient uh, it was there wasn't uh, there wasn't a um, an architect uh, that an architect who was actually taking care or who understood the whole solution from, from top to bottom, right? It was always this split in between. And so MATLAB, I mean, again, the roots are basically, I mean, it's a very old software and the roots are in, in single desktop installation environments. So for that, it actually works well, but for, for getting it into a productive system on the web, there's so much hassle to go through. There's, I mean, first of all, there are the costs. It's, you know, it costs a lot as, as a desktop license already. Mm -hmm. But then if you want to compile it so you can stick it into a web front end, like deploy it, right? That costs another um, insane amount. And so, you know, it, it can only run on one developer's computer and then that developer is on vacation and you can't, deploy the code, things like that. So I just started to wonder like if that is really 
the best way of doing things. And that's kind of when I, um, for the first time, actually came across Python because people on the web were suggesting that instead of MATLAB, you could actually switch to Python and the NumPy, SciPy ecosystem. And so I played around with it and I thought that it's, it's incredibly nice. It's open source. So like the whole um, hassle with getting your uh, MATLAB uh, installation, you know, verified and getting a license key um, on, on top. I mean, they made it really hard to do that. That just falls away. And then Python is, is very strong on, on, um, on web development, right? So, I mean, Python, I guess, I mean, nowadays it's, it's, you're in a much different position, like to judge on, on, on what, like, um, what, what the strengths are and, or what the industries are where Python is, is mostly used. Um, when I started to look into that, maybe in 20, probably in 20 uh, something like 2012. So some eight, nine years ago. Um, that wasn't, I mean, it wasn't so strong yet. So like, for example, Pandas has just, you know, has just kind of come out of, come out of nothing. Um, and people were, were starting to look at it, but, um, you know, by the time I left banking, Python was very much still like, well, you know, oh, open source, no, like, oh, it's not approved, um, stay away from it. Um, and so, I mean, that changed very much. And I mean, nowadays we can say, I mean, Python is extremely strong in everything about data science, machine learning, um, just about well anything in in pandas if competing with r in 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 that area uh and obviously it's also very strong in 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 um uh, in the web technology and and back then i guess that that wasn't so so clear as i mean you know as it is today but still you can you you could tell that um there were already great uh, web frameworks back then, 10 years ago. So you could actually see that you build your scientific engine with Matt, uh, with NumPy and SciPy. And as I said, Panas was just emerging then. And you can, without any, any additional um, effort, you can just put it on a web server and have people use it. And that to me was so convincing that I knew I wanted to go down that route and not stick with matlablast.net. And that's, mm. you know, when I decided to, um, to hand in my resignation pretty, pretty much because I saw that there was no way um, anytime soon for, for, for the banking industry to catch up with Python. Um, I was a bit wrong with that, I guess, because a few years later, things changed very, very quickly, but still, I, I couldn't wait all these years. So um, <laughs> it was definitely the right choice to make. Yeah, that, that was actually uh, part of my next question was, uh, what was the decision process like for you to break away from banking? But it sounds like your awareness with the technology and it was just kind of like something you you saw like greener pastures over here. And so you just had to leave is kind of what yeah, it sounds pretty like. Much, uh, pretty much so. I mean, the, the reason I guess is also because, you know, or I, I don't have like a formal computer science education at all. I have like a, a, a master in economics, 
business administration. And I basically got into, well, software development, maybe more from like a, or definitely more from a product management perspective during my, uh, well, years in banking. Mm -hmm. Then just started to love making technology or dealing with technology more than basically also uh, dealing with the, the raw risk figures or, or portfolio like construction things like you know what things you traditionally do in 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 a banking job and so i just also um well as i said i mean i wanted to to break away from kind of legacy technology Mm -hmm. even though i guess excel could 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 probably be classified as a legacy technology (laughs) too so i only partly succeeded in that um but I wanted to, yeah, break away from MATLAB and .NET. I wanted to do Python. I wanted to do more technology, less finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was basically the reasons why, why I, uh, yeah, I, 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 quit, I quit that job and, and tried to, to start something, something based on technology. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, with, with that plunge that you made, kind of going from finance to technology or banking to technology, what would you say your first success was after you made that plunge? So, so first, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, first success, I guess. Um, first success was that I had a very, a very small consulting gig pretty much right away after, after I left banking. And at first I was kind of hesitant to, to accept it because I wanted to have a break and well, you know, just kind of do nothing for anybody, but just for myself, like learn Python, get into it. Um, But then I thought, okay, well, maybe it isn't such a bad idea to actually get a little bit of money and a little bit of um, real world exposure to start this adventure off. And so I then, after sleeping on it for, for two or three days, I gladly accepted that job. And it was, it was a, a, you know, a basic financial uh, portfolio optimization. And that was, you know, fortunately enough, I mean, that, that's why I kind of got into that, in, in, into play there, was, was requested in, in Python, right? So um, basically the team who wanted that, they were traditionally also hooked on MATLAB, but then, you know, things got, got, got more um, involved with getting accesses to, to paid licenses. Yeah. So that was actually, that, that was a good thing. So I was building that in, in Python. And, and then basically uh, the client, she asked me if she could access this portfolio optimization uh, functionality from from Excel, and um, so yeah, I mean to answer your question, I guess the first the first success was basically that you know I I was able to acquire a small consulting job, and then kind of um, based on that first consulting job, my second success, which probably I would rate even higher, is that I came up with that framework excel wings which you know allows you to interact easily from python 
to Excel and 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 vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's actually it's it's two separate small events that together are probably yeah, the biggest success I had at the very beginning there. Yeah. I think I think what's so beautiful about that entire situation you just described is you know this awesomeness that Excel Wings brings to the table would have never been born if you weren't kind of willing to you know sever the whole banking thing and then be willing to put yourself out there and go get these clients and then it's it's almost like um like you couldn't have dreamed this up like it had these things kind of had to happen in order for it to even to, to become a thing. And so for other people out there that are like, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to, you know, make, make money with my ideas. Like sometimes you can't really start out with that intention. You just have to be willing to solve people's problems. And that's kind of what I got out of your story. That's so uh, awesome. I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was definitely, um, I was in a position to, I, I was looking for a change. Um, I had, you know, I had the luxury to, to be able to live off my savings for more than just a month or two. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the immediate pressure to get back into the industry. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely wanted to learn something in, in that time. And I mean, Excel Wings, you know, was, was my first, uh, well, my first program in Python. So it was mostly a, a learning process back then. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that the thing about banking is that I'm pretty sure there's many, many, um, many teams everywhere in finance. They probably come up with similar solutions like Excel Wings. They come up with similar solutions like Pandas. But the issue is nobody ever sees those solutions, right? Because yeah. they just stay in the company they are used internally and mm -hmm. that's where it ends. And so it may, it may be changing a bit, but I think overall that will take a lot more time for people in banking to contribute to, to open source, let's say. Um, so that's definitely one, one big plus that I could just do whatever I wanted. And um, I still today, I mean, I still sometimes have smaller consulting jobs in finance and you know, they are always happy if um, if we can build something as an open source framework and and maybe maybe push it out because if they do it internally, they there's just there's no way to to get get it out of uh, out of that door. So um, there's there's definitely that. So um, unfortunately for yeah for for most companies in finance, it's still extremely extremely difficult to to well they nowadays i guess it's easy to use the open source stuff but it's still extremely difficult to push back to to open source projects mm -hmm. yeah they i guess they just they covet that intellectual property more yeah. than helping the world stop reinventing the wheel but to yeah. each their own i guess yeah i think there might be um exceptions to that rule um i don't remember now but i thought I read about some some frameworks in finance that are is going to be basically um, done in on open source but okay. yeah mostly I think mostly that's that's not the case I would I would even assume it's not even just a, a finance issue I guess it's just like a, a big corporation issue where um, it's still pretty pretty difficult to to yeah to contribute back to um, 
to open source in, mm-hmm. in an official manner. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, oh, I have a question for you here. So Excel Wings can directly run SQL queries on ranges. It opens up the doors for automated testing with VBA we had discussed earlier. It can serve your workbooks as REST endpoints amongst other features. What is your favorite feature? My favorite feature of Excel Wings. Um, Probably my favorite feature in that sense is that it's cross-platform so that Mm. you can use it on Mac and on Windows because traditionally um, all all these interactive tools, they always almost just work on on Windows. And so, I mean, first of all, I guess for people who are listening and are not that familiar with the Excel Python world, I mean, first of all, you have to, to, to also understand that there's two different kind of Excel Python packages. So there are like the Excel reader and writer libraries and they work everywhere. They even work on Linux and they work without an installation of Excel, right? They just go into, they just um, read the file format directly. They write the files directly on disk. And so they run everywhere where Python runs. And that makes them like a brilliant choice to use when you are bound to a Linux server, you know, which usually happens when you deal with web technology. So um, they do a very, very good job there. Um, or if you just, you know, use Python to read in some data from a spreadsheet. But then, um, yeah, then there is, um, there is, basically what we do with Excel Wings is, 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 is different in the way that it's more of a, it's a replacement for VBA. It's a, it's a, an interactive use of Excel. So you have to have an Excel installation. And as I said, usually these tools, um, they only work on Windows and people only ever care about Windows. And um, so when I started this back in 2014, there was, I mean, it has been very quiet about Excel on Mac for a long time. So there was a Mac Excel version 2011. And that version was, it kind of was usable. It supported VBA. Um, it looked a bit weird. And yeah, it was just kind of, it, it wasn't very much compatible with the latest Excel version on Windows. So they had done like a lot of iterations of Excel on Windows um, and, and, and they were just leaving Excel on Mac untouched. And then, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the rumors on the internet were suggesting that Microsoft had actually dumped Excel on Mac. And unfortunately um, in 2015, I guess, um, we were all proven wrong because they uh, released Excel 2016, Office 365 for Excel on Mac. And I believe from what I read, it's like in the first time in whatever 20 years that um, they managed to use the same code base for Excel on Mac and also for Excel on, hmm. on Windows. And so basically, I mean, first of all, it looks nice. It actually looks like Excel, um, not like Excel 2011. 
it has pretty much all the same shortcuts and all the same functionality and they continue to to evolve it so um so yeah i was very happy to to get a proper excel version i mean it's still you know, there's still one or two things that you would wish um, it, it would do better. But I mean, for, for most of the things, it's really a really good offering. And um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously that did break the, how uh, that did break Excel wings and I had to invest uh, a few more weeks to, to get it back working. But um, finally, it worked again and um so that's definitely that's definitely one of the things i love most um because well my main machine i mean first of all my main machine is is a mac so i can just for most of the things that are not windows specific i can just use my mac and, and program on excel wings and the other reason is that it's yeah it's an underdog excel on mac but it's probably it's probably larger the the share of people who use Excel on Mac is probably larger than you would than you would hmm. probably imagine. So we made a survey a year ago and I believe we had at least about fifteen percent of the people who are using it on, on on Mac or on both environments, so Mac and Windows. And I guess some of the some of the fancy hedge funds and these kind of companies, um, they do actually use Macs. Um, so me personally, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I invested the time to, to do it. There's just one functionality we don't support on Mac, which is the user-defined functions. But um, who knows, maybe in the future, in the distant future, that will change. Yeah, there. I mean, there's so many features. I would just recommend uh, that folks go check this stuff out. I mean, there's like asynchronous processing uh, to to name one of them. Um, uh, I I also liked how easy it was to yank data through, like basically talking to any web service that you could, you know, talk to with uh, Python. You can yank that data into into a sheet and just uh, hit your control shift alt F nine or shift what, whatever those commands are to just refresh and uh, Shazam, you've got fresh data in there. Anyway, uh, there's probably, there's probably not enough time on this show to go into all that, but man, there's, there's a ton of features on there that are just pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, people use it for all, all, all kinds of different, uh, different things. So um, one of the functionality, funny enough, that has has emerged as one of the most popular uh, functionality is to use it as a reporting engine, mm. and that's like kind of surprisingly that's extremely like at the other end of you know why I was building Excel Wings. Mm -hmm. So I was building Excel Wings for interactive tools like using Excel as a front end, um, being able to click a button, have Python do the the the, the, the dirty work in the background um, and, and spit the data back. Um, but uh, I was always, you know, under the impression that uh, reporting was exclusively a thing for those writer libraries that, you know, we just touched upon before. Things like uh, packages like OpenPyXL or XLSX Writer or XLWT 
depending on which which Excel format you want, you have to to use a different package. So that was, in my eyes, these were always the go-to um, solution for uh, for reporting. But it turns out, I mean, they have in certain circumstances certain limitations, like if, for example, none of these writer libraries uh, support the XLSB format. And you could argue that XLSB, well, is, is a bit of a weird choice if you just use Excel to dump some numbers and, and format stuff. But then again, I kind of have stopped, like, you know, asking why people do certain things with Excel a long time ago. Um, so, you know, just take it as a fact that there may be some XLSB file where also some reporting happens. And so that's where you're kind of left off with something like Excel Wings to, to take that, cover that functionality. Or the other issue is if you have really, if you really have a template in Excel that you just want to fill in the missing data, then the, what happens is there is actually only OpenPyXL able to, um, to edit a file. And from what I understand it, um, what it has to do is basically it just reads in all the, all, all the um, characteristics of that file and then you know, produces, again, using the same characteristics with the edits you made to produce a new file from scratch. So it actually has to produce always a new file from scratch. And so that's kind of also the fundamental difference between these tools and Excel Wings. Excel Wings literally opens the file in Excel. It just, you know, remote controls it. It doesn't do any other funky thing to it. And then, um, so that it's really, I mean, you, you can control your Excel workbook exactly the way you've, you want it to be. Whereas with the writer tools, sometimes, the formatting is a bit off, can be a bit off. So for instance, like if you have a specially formatted chart, which, well, happens to be kind of important in, in reports, I believe they don't cover everything. So sometimes when you edit it with OpenPyXL, you may lose, let's say, like a data, a data grid you have below a chart or a chart title. Um, they've improved though, so I'm really impressed because last time I looked at it was a couple of years back and back then uh, they would just lose, I believe, they would just lose all, all the charts or all the pictures you had in, in, in the Excel file and nowadays they actually, you know, keep a very well, a very good version of that. So um, I will definitely recommend um, to try something out like OpenPyXL also. And only like when, when you hit some, some issues with that, um, you know, do it with Excel Wings because if you use it for reporting, then you're always bound to, to an actual installation of Excel. And that just sometimes is, is an issue if, you ha if it has to be scalable, if, you has, if, if it has to be like um, wrapped into a web server. So for that kind of use case, um, OpenPyXL or the likes are always kind of preferable. But yeah, if you hit one of these issues I mentioned, then um, excellence is a is a is a nice alternative mm -hmm. to yeah just work on the original Excel file. Yeah, it sounds like uh, like if I had to describe what is the biggest pain points that your software solves, it's almost like if you if you need like an interactive experience, but you need that 
Python to be able to do some heavy lifting, kind of push, maybe push the limits a little more in your workbooks uh, or dealing with like these fancy formats uh, in reporting? Like, is it safe to say that's kind of the main pains, the pain points that you solve or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's automating stuff and it's writing user-defined functions in, in Python instead of VBA. And I mean, everybody who has used VBA, I guess, knows that it's just a big pain. I don't know. Are you writing VBA at all? I, I write, I cut my teeth on VBA. I still write VBA every day because I'm working in okay. access and I do a lot of uh, uh, integrations between, because uh, like we need a lot of offline functionality uh, yeah. for certain reasons. And so really access excel powerpoint like basically we've got people in the company that need to be able to generate reports on an airplane uh you know and they need the beautiful the beautiful looking like excel chart formats in a powerpoint you know presentation basically so it's almost like before your software came along i felt like i was doomed to vba and the world is just passing me by with all this fancy technology and i'm stuck using uh you know, yeah, VBA, but I, I can't bash VBA. I think, I think it does some certain things very well, but with the, the marriage of what you, you know, Python and VBA, like, I feel like my life has no limits now. And so I'm, you yeah. know, forever grateful, but. I mean, it's just so much easier, right? Cause, yeah. um, I mean, I started to code naturally in VBA as a first language too, but I mean, it's like, you have to basically Google every other thing you try to do and yeah. you end up just going onto some forum and copy pasting like a page full of code to do a simple thing. I mean, just like, let's say you want to read a file in Excel right. with VBA. I mean, in Python, you just do, you know, with open file and then you dot read and that's about it. So you have two lines of code. And in, in Excel, you have, I mean, then it depends if you want to have it compatible with Mac or just Windows, which is a bit, which is also, as I said, I mean, there are people using it on Mac. So, um, yeah, you just have to copy paste every time you start a new project. You either copy paste from your old project or you copy paste from the internet. And yeah, sometimes it works, but sometimes there. sometimes yeah. uh, there's auditability issues also with that i guess mm-hmm. yeah it i i couldn't agree more it's uh i don't know it's if if you are a vba person or you have to interact with vb vba just i guess take my word for it if if you don't want to take the the founder's word for it on the excel wings and uh, some of these other uh, libraries can really just improve your quality of life. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, you know, if you have to work with that stuff. Um, I agree. Uh, what is your biggest takeaway from your entrepreneurial experience so far? The biggest takeaway, <laughs> you have to make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, you have to make money. and. Um, you know, that's, that's a bit the thing where 
um, after a while, like, you know, being really in love with the open source world, um, it kind of, well, you, you, gen you kind of just are confronted with, with the reality at some point and you will find out that um, Excel Wings is, is, a, is a really great product and a lot of people love it. And you can have maybe a link on the homepage that says, hey, if you need some you know, support or consulting, just give us a shout. But nobody will give you a shout. So that's, that's a bit the issue. And um, yeah, of course, I mean, you get maybe once, once or twice a year, um, you, you, you get maybe something out of that. Um, and, and, and you get to, to solve a, a small consulting, a small consulting um, gig out of that, but it's not going to keep you going. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a bit to take away in that um, for me, at least not, not that I didn't have that really clear at the beginning, but still it's, it's, um, it's, it's great to, to put it in front of your eyes, like clearly again, it's like, okay, just writing an open source library. Um, well, doesn't come with a business model. And you either have to find a way to make it work as a side project, or you have to find a business model so you can actually put in, put in you know, all the work that it probably deserves. And so it took hmm. us quite a long time um, we initially had it as a side project and we, we, well, initially, you know, tried to use it as a door opener for our other product that we have, Excel Trail. You mentioned initially the version control for Excel, but also that was, um, that wasn't a direct kind of, you know, uh, source of income to maintain Excel wings. So uh, for sure you get a few leads from Excel wings who are then interested in what else we do. And then maybe one or two, they convert into a paying client, but that's not going to keep you alive. Right. So mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not on a, on a uh, big enough scale. So hmm. basically we throughout the throughout the years we did evaluate a couple of different way different ways of of how to make excel wings a profitable um or kind of a you know get money for for its maintenance but um the let's say like the the no effort stuff didn't work right so just putting a um, well, priority ticket costs two hundred dollars. Um, doesn't work. Okay, there is maybe uh, two or three people in five years who have an emergency and are happy to pay you double, um, just to get it resolved. But that still leaves you with four hundred dollars per year, which <laughs> yeah. doesn't get you very far, right? Right. So that didn't work neither. Um, the the um uh the the door opener in that sense wasn't working well enough the priority tickets weren't uh working well enough and so 
we're basically just now um, trying something new and it, it looks a lot more promising. And that is basically, um, you know, creating and, and um, offering a pro version for Excel wings with additional functionality. And so the pro version um, has a price uh, like any other software and just adds some of the features on top of the current um, community edition, the way that we now call it, that we hear most often. And that, you know, we just, as an open source project, we just can't take the time to work on it um, to, to make it happen. And so some of the functionality that will be in that initial release, which is really kind of um, being um, finalized basically as we speak for that initial Excellence Pro version is on the one hand, a proper uh, reporting package. So it's, it's one thing that I, I was again, I mean, at, fir at, the, first, um, at the first step I was, um, to begin with, I was surprised that uh, reporting, you know, was a thing with Excel Wings, as I initially thought that was more of an open Pi Excel kind of thing. And then um, to, to be continued in, in my, uh, to be surprised um, in the second step, I was also surprised because um, users were asking us to improve the reporting um, experience. And so, um, that is a, that isn't really what we did, and so the reporting um, package is is going to be part of the Excellence Pro package, of the Excellence Pro offering, and what the Excellence um, reports functionality is doing is it allows you to really define uh, templates in Excel, very much the same way as you define templates in HTML, let's say in a in a Django or a Flask framework. Okay. So you would just compile you know you would just use python to compile all your data usually people you know just use pandas data frame these days so they connect to any sql database they connect to csv files they connect to rest apis on the internet they get all their data down they do the data wrangling in pandas and then in the end they have like 15 or 20 tables that they just need to arrange on on an excel spreadsheet and so what we did now is you can put in um, placeholders in, in Excel. So you can just say, you know, whatever the, the name of the table is, you put that into double curly braces and you put that in Excel at the position um, you would like the table to appear. And so the idea of the whole thing is that you completely separate um, concerns. So you have the business user who does not necessarily have to know about uh, Python who creates the Excel template. And so they will, you know, format the table in the colors, the corporate colors. Um, Excellence Reports does also take care of basically dynamic tables. So it dynamically adjusts the height of a table if it has 10 or 15 rows and um, applies the formatting accordingly. And I've just recently talked um, to somebody in the industry and, and they're saying, well, you know, they have a team who spend every morning two hours on editing the reports, the daily reports to get the formatting right. So hopefully that product will save them two hours every day. And I mean, people are happy to pay for that. 
And so by, you know, by adding this functionality on top of, of Excellence Community Edition, we hope to generate enough money so that we can actually, well, move, well, main, well maintain the open source version going forward, but also improve it. So like just by adding the functionality um, that I was just describing on the templating um, engine, um, I was adding about, I don't know, like 10 or 15 um, new features to the community version, right? Um, things like insert rows, delete rows that was previously not available. So it, there, there's a huge benefit um, in, in getting that out and, and, and even for, for the community version. And, and the, other, um, the other feature that we're planning for the pro version um, in that initial iteration, apart from you know basic stuff like direct support and continued Python 2.7 support, um, we are going to also add the ability to store your Python code directly in the workbook. So oh, pretty wow. much, pretty much the way that you um, you were dealing with in the old days, or for you in the current days with VBA you can just uh, you will be able to store the python code in in excel because that's one of the things that we've heard over and over again it's like it's you know the deployment is an issue deployment is an issue with python i guess in general if it's not web-based and um if you do excel wings then you always have to kind of deploy the source code alongside the excel wing the yeah, the excel workbook which is a bit of a hassle so Having it all into a self-contained workbook does solve that issue. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're investing in that. Hmm. I was at the beginning of the journey. I mean, it came up like quite, quite early. So let's say in 2014, um, there was already somebody opening an issue and, and complaining about not being able to, to store the code in, in the workbook. And back then, my, my answer was also a bit like, you know, it's actually a good thing that you can store it in the Excel workbook because that allows you to just write a standard Python file and also properly version control it with Git. And um, I guess that still is, is kind of true. But then um, we started this other product, um, which... Uh, is actually the the mastermind behind that um, to to correct your initial oh, uh, the presentation <laughs> is actually my business partner Bjorn. Okay. Um, so we started to to bring this uh, tool to the market, and um, nowadays, you know, it's 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 as you said, it's just basically a, a GitHub uh, system which which knows how to deal with Excel files and reads out all the VBA code, reads out all the formulas and gives you diffs and comparison between different versions. And so our plan actually going forward is to um, allow you, if, if you keep track of your Excel workbooks with Excel Trail, you will be actually able to version control the embedded Python code in, in Excel Trail. So it's kind of um, the best of both worlds. You, you can keep your code in the workbook, but you still do get proper version control with diffs um, if you like to and, and uh, uh, track things with our other, other system. Hmm. Yeah, that, uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that. That sounds, I guess the, the only thing that I, that I wonder is like, what is the development? Like, would you still write the code in, a, in a, an IDE or would you 
you wouldn't use the VBA IDE, would you? Uh, oh God, no. Yeah, I was like, man, <laughs> that sounds painful. It no doesn't even have. It doesn't even have line numbers, right? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a, man. I, I wish. I often wish there was a way that I could write VBA not in the VBA editor. Like have, yeah, have the, you know. Anyway, that's, that's like a reoccurring thought that I have. I mean, to some extent, you can do it. I mean, you have, um, okay. for example, if you use Visual Studio Code, um, there, is a, there is an add-in which um, gives you VBA syntax highlighting. So it kind of um, makes it easier to work in, in, in that editor. Um, I don't really know because I haven't done like proper uh, VBA work in a long time. Um, I don't know if it's worth like the, you know, back and forth copy pasting. So like that's that's something that probably could, could, could be resolved. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I figure, I figure you would probably for development, you would, you would still um, leave your Python code in a, in a Python IDE. And then only for deployment, you would just copy paste it into a sheet actually that you call, you know, my module.py. Mm -hmm. And then that Excel wings will pick that up automatically as, as a source file. Um, so yeah, I mean you can obviously you can you can edit it in the sheet directly. So um, probably smaller things you could do there directly, but then I I would figure uh, personally that's how I would do it. Um, yeah, I would probably do it in an IDE. Hmm. Okay, for cool. Development. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Uh, okay, so I had another question for you. Um, Let's see here. So you have an online or it's like an on-demand video course that accompanies the Excel Wings product. And I was wondering uh, what major learnings did you have on uh, kind of what it takes to create like a successful video course? Um, it does take a lot of time to record the session. Um, I don't know if it's just me um or you know i have to repeat i you know i i misspell myself how do you say that i i uh, say I, I lose it or i you know say say stupid things or then that some something on the screen doesn't work so mm -hmm. you have to re-record it um it it does take it does take quite a while. So like for, I don't know, maybe an hour of, of video course content, maybe you can easily spend, I don't know, a day and a half uh, recording. Hmm. Um, and that is if you already have, you know, the course material prepared. And if you don't have the course material, you can probably spend easily two to three days for just an hour of, of video recording. But obviously, the beautiful thing about it, um, it's a, it's a one-time pain. Right. And then, then it's more or less done, except, of course, that things you know, evolve and you have to record new sessions for new functionality. Or if things change, you have to re-record and, and put things right. Um, it has been a good experience in the sense that I'm able to sell more courses than I thought initially. But again, it's, it's probably one of the other things um, that goes into the category that uh, we have tried and that didn't work in terms of, you know, um, it doesn't pay the rent. So it's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice addition um, on, a, on a monthly basis. It's also obviously not every month the same. 
Um, but from what I hear, like from people, is that it does actually um, often solve their initial problems. So, for people who have, because I think the, the situation in Excel Wings is a bit special because, um, again, you often deal, from what I have the um, the impression, you often deal with people who are not professional coders right so it's the people who used to write vba before um they come mostly from the excel world and then they kind of i don't know probably get told by somebody that they should look into python instead of vba or they hit you know they, they hit the same kind of um restrictions in vba that kind of make you look for a better solution and they come across excel wings and then kind of they also come across python at the same time and so at the beginning they have really a lot of questions so sometimes you can tell by questions that come up on stack overflow or questions that come up on on the github issue tracker that you know you can't just tell them mm, well you know just fix this and it'll work it's like okay um, you need to know about um, how path works on on Windows. Uh, you need to to know about different virtual environments. You need to know about um, making it available from Excel. Uh, you know, uh, and and it's it's sometimes uh, there. There's a lot of ground to be covered if you're really a a, a first uh, for like a bloody beginner. Mm -hmm. And so I believe the course actually does that. So it kind of really shows them how to install an Anaconda distribution, how to make sure that the distribution you have just installed will be the distribution that Excel um, that you talk to from Excel. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I think that, that people are, uh, it, I mean, yeah, they, it, it seems to be a thing that people love to learn coding from videos rather than just, you know, reading the docs. I mean, the video course as such almost, you know, doesn't cover more topics than in the docs. I mean, it has some applications of it that I'm showing, like the unit testing case, um, or maybe how to move things over from an Excel application to a web application. But other than that, it's really just the docs, but in a much more kind of, um, you know, um, easy to follow way, like step-by-step -step guide. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it seems to, it seems to, um, to work well enough. And, um, you know, video, as I said, seems to be a good format. We also see like there's a lot of interest in our YouTube channel. So people are actually subscribing much more than in any other social platform. Hmm. So um, my, my goal for this year is actually to produce a lot more like short videos um, that show some of the capabilities of Excel Wings. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting how uh, like the docs are available but um, with the video course, like you could, like what, you're only really a couple hours away of going through the docs and the video just kind of walks you through it. And so from a creator's point of view, I find it kind of interesting, like you're, you don't have to come up with this novel content. Like it, it might just be kind of like repurposing something in a different form. And uh, anyway, that I, I appreciate what you shared there 
just as a content creator, like sometimes I feel like I complicate things too much with creating the content and uh, you know, people just, they just, they just need a way to you know, kind of maybe wander through the documentation, you know, like that could be a uh, pretty solid content. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's also for now, um, you know, as, as long as we didn't have the pro version, um, it was also kind of probably the donation button. So on, on GitHub, I was also putting the link as a donation button because we mm -hmm. don't have donations. We don't, you know, accept donations. Um, but so I also believe some people um, bought the course to, you know, to basically express um, their gratitude towards the project, like as a, as a little donation to the mm -hmm. continued maintenance. Yeah. I, uh, I, I made sure to actually go through the entire course before I did the interview with you. And I can, uh, I can tell like, you know, just to, with the, with the audience here, like it was definitely a good experience. You get to learn like all the nitty gritty of things that you might kind of like glaze over in the documentation. Cause it's like, at least with me, I like digesting information through a video and uh, you kind of do get to see how a programmer operates. Like I, I liked how you had um, everything in these Jupyter notebooks that were kind of like the plan was already laid out. You just kind of had to go through, go through the, the motion there. And then um, just, just kind of getting, sometimes it helps to watch somebody else go through the process of like installing the add in. I mean, you take for granted, like you might, for lack of better words, like you might piss away like a half an hour trying to like figure some of this stuff out. And in the video, I mean, you're squared away in two minutes. So, I mean, there's some serious value add with the video course. So I hope uh, people uh, check that out for sure. I found a lot of value in it. Thank you. I wasn't, I wasn't aware that you were uh, one of the students. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I uh, went through it before I did this interview. And uh, I, I have nothing but positive feedback about it. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, it's more didactically structured, right? The thing is, I mean, the, the docs have grown to, you know, quite, quite, quite some, some documentation, right? I mean, it's quite some pages mm -hmm. and they would definitely need a, a restructuring, a redo of the whole um, documentation, but it takes a lot of time, right? So, I mean, documentation takes a lot of time if you want to do it properly. So, um, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully when we get Excel Wings Pro off the ground, uh, we will have that, that time to, to, for a complete re refactoring of, of the, of the documentation and, um, make it easier for people to, to get started and to, to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, uh, keep up the good work, charge whatever you need to do and, uh, keep that project alive. Cause it's, I'm sure it's helping out a lot of people. Um, so I guess we've got maybe uh, 15 minutes or so here. I just wanted to kind of zoom, zoom through the last couple of questions here. These are really oriented towards helping the, uh, the audience kind of grasp their ability, how to monetize their uh, programming skills. And I'd like to kick this off with um, when it comes to getting clients, what is your message to someone that is maybe obsessing over their web presence, but is not take talking to people in their niche. What is your message to them? So, so that's a bit right. How 
how I saw it at the beginning. I thought like you pull up a web page and then people will come to you and buy from you and it all works beautifully. <laughs> so, I mean, with Excel Wings, it kind of was that way, except that they didn't have to buy. So they could just download and, you know, they would start using it. And um, for that reason, probably I... I I thought about that. That's how, how it works, even if, if they have to pay. Now, along the way, over the last two and a half years, that I've been mostly doing, you know, the job of, of a CEO who has to go out and, and sell uh, stuff. So I was mostly doing this for, for Excel Trail, the, the version control product. I found out that... Um, yeah, you really have to talk to these people. And um, it's, it's usually also uh, a very, a very rewarding, um, a very rewarding um, um, work to do because uh, these are actually people who, well, they, you know, they've been in the industry for years. They have been facing the problem you try to solve for years. They can actually give you uh, feedback um, they can actually make you focus on, on what, what's important or you can actually find out what's not important or what you misunderstood. And um, it's, it's usually good, you know, good feedback from them to you, but also you sometimes can help them um, in, in, a, in a certain way that, you know, is, is beyond just the product. I mean, you can actually recommend people to, to store their Excel workbooks in an XLSB format if it's all the time crashing and they're like 60, 70 megabyte big. And you would, you would probably, I mean, mm. I would, you know, usually take that for granted, you know, like people know that stuff, right? But m many of them don't. I mean, um, they just use Excel and, you know, not everybody's so deep into the, into the matter that they would, would know all of that stuff. So it's definitely, um, a process of, of picking up the phone um, and try to get to talk to your uh, hopefully future clients. Mm. Um, and also relatively early on in the process, that's also something I've, I've learned. Um, I've always thought that you need to have like a finished product that, you know, people, they, you know, they send you a message like they are interested and they want to buy. And I always thought it's an issue if you don't have that, that product readily available but that's really not the issue because of you know 50 contacts that you have eventually there would only be one person who you know might in the end be really looking for something you're you're, you're building and might uh, want to 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 buy your product so that's definitely an, a learning outcome um, I made that um, sales definitely happens uh, on, on a person-to-person -person level and isn't just an anonymous uh, internet page with a buy me button. Yeah, with the with the flashy button to PayPal. Exactly. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I I, uh, I saw that in the pre-interview, and I was like, man, I gotta, we gotta, we gotta get that into the interview somehow. Um, uh, okay, so you might have already covered a lot of the content in this question, but I was curious, like, what are you like three tips? that you have for people on monetizing their Python programming skills? Um, 
Well, yeah, as I, I, I guess, um, yeah, as we covered before. So I guess the first and foremost tip here is open source doesn't pay. Um, I personally don't really believe in the donation story. So definitely and certainly there is exceptions to that. But these exceptions are probably, you know, two handfuls, maybe maybe a bit more. But um, it's, it's in very specific settings that the donation button can work. So I know of one specific uh, project where it works. That's Vue.js. The, um, one of the competing frameworks with React and, and Angular. And um, that's pretty much the only big project that comes to mind that kind of works on that donation or sponsoring level. I'm sure there are some others and mm -hmm. there are some companies that try to kind of make a business so that you can subscribe to some open source projects and, and then that's it. But my take at this is it has to be incredibly big. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, first of all, it, you have to probably start in in the web in the web um, technology, because web technology like JavaScript is just the biggest market ever. Mm. Um, and then you may have, and then if you do something, you know, a mainstream framework, then you may have a, a chance at it. But otherwise, it's going to be very, very, very difficult with um, with the donation thing. Um, even you know having a donation button on github on github sure i mean maybe somebody feels very generous and sends you five dollars or sends you a hundred dollars but it's it's not gonna solve the issue if you want to put in the the proper amount that you would need to maintain an open source library mm -hmm. to 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 maintain that so for me the donation button is kind of not an option and so uh, as a as a second tip, um, I would probably just recommend people to, yeah, um, think about the potential direct business model um, alongside the open source project. It may be completely different, you know, if you because open source is not always open source in the same in the same kind of way. So if you are an open source team within Google and you know, just work on Angular or, or, or within Facebook and you work on React, then that's fine because your employer has enough money to sponsor that. But if you start out like, like we did, like I did um, five years ago or six years ago, then you just have an open source product. Um, there's no money attached to that. So um, with hindsight, I would start uh, a pro version kind of, you know, start your open source project with the pro version alongside. That's, mm. um, that's probably what I would do differently this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's solid. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that. And, uh, when starting out with Python, what do you recommend that doesn't take much effort, but solves like 80% of the challenge on, um, like becoming profitable? Um, in, in what way do you mean? Like, um, like in, in uh, terms of a developer's experience or? Yeah, I guess, I guess we could, uh, we, we could take this a lot of different ways. Um, 
if you, I guess if you, your ambition was to create a software product, what is like 80% of the challenge? Uh, like maybe some low hanging fruit to bring that thing to market. Uh, yeah. So something along those lines, I guess. Well, I guess you have to be found by your potential users. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's always the, the biggest issue. And for excelling specifically, that was kind of solved by somebody putting it on, on hacker news. And from there on, it was, it was kind of exploding. Um, and so whenever you whenever you create a software product, you need to find out like where your users are and need to kind of you know share your homepage on these forums and on uh, yeah on on these specific platforms where they actually can be seen and I mean there's things like I said hacker news for like more developer um, oriented tools which for Xlings was a was a natural fit, um, but there is other platforms. Um, there is Reddit, you know, depending on 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 the area you're cover. Um, so there is like there is Excel Reddits in 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 our case, not just Python, um, where you can promote your stuff. There is uh, indie hackers, I believe, where a lot of people kind of have have success. But it's always, I mean, that's always a bit developer oriented. Mm -hmm. So um, the the other way, obviously, is to 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 write content, um, and that's 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 what, what what actually probably takes a lot of time to create um, good good content that Google is actually interested in and will you know will make you appear in the search results. Mm. And that's a bit probably that's that's where a lot of the a lot of the work goes outside of programming because uh, it, yeah, you need to, apparently, I mean, in the old times, you could just do some, you know, some dirty SEO hacks, but meantime, Google is apparently so smart that the only thing that kind of consistently works is just by putting up like high quality content posts where people really, I mean, solves an issue for people and they really, come back to it they they stay on the page they read it so that's kind of what um what, what, what yeah what causes actually a lot of work because writing writing that content often uh writing a, a good blog post uh often takes takes a lot of time and that is that is a bit the issue so you have to take that time away from development work and if you are a software developer software developer then usually you're you know, you're really good at developing software and you really like it and you don't really like writing blog posts so much. Yeah. And so that's, that's always a bit the issue and, and it's yeah. obviously a bit the issue with me personally too. Hmm. Yeah. Th thanks for sharing. Uh, it sounds like there's no shortcuts when it, when it comes to getting your name out there, you've got to go find your, where your customers are hanging out and then you've got to produce content that's going to, keep them hanging around. There's just no shortcuts. It's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. I probably agreed to that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I have a uh, man. I, uh, let me, so I'll, I'll just ask these uh, last questions. Like you can, uh, you just, whatever comes to mind kind of like fire off here, but I was wondering what, uh, what are like three favorite learning resources that you would recommend for like software development type stuff? Um, well, 
probably at the top of the list is uh, Stack Overflow, right? Okay. I mean, what, whatever questions you put in, uh, it appears in Stack Overflow. And it's definitely the only forum where you find the, the best answer at the top. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't at the top, there's a command which says it, it shouldn't be the accepted answer. So um, definitely Stack Overflow. I personally do like um, reading, reading books uh, from time to time, programming books. Um, but hardcore programmers, I find, tend to not do that. But for starting programmers, I guess that can be a, a good solution. And then what we discussed before um, video courses, I mean, there's, there's a, um, tons of video courses about each aspect of learning a language. Um, you know, if you look for that niche product like Excel for Python, then there's a course, but every other niche too. So like if you want to learn data science for Python, I'm sure you will find your course. If you want to, you know, Python for business users, you'll find your course. If you want to have advanced Python, you just mastered the basic, you want to go for advanced. Uh, there's, there's a course for about anything, which I guess is, is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, probably that. Uh, obviously, the internet with Stack Overflow books and, and video courses. That would awesome. Be yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, what is like the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, I, I wouldn't know if it was um, a specific. Um, specific advice in that sense, but it kind of all boils down to um, uh, kind of, you know, GitHub stars don't, don't buy you food Um, in the, in, in the same sense that, you know, we've discussed previously open source is, is, is a complicated matter. Um, If you want to do it seriously, you do have to, to think about how to finance it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the business model. Uh, I, that's <clears throat> man. I'd I'd love to dig into that more. I know our our time has kind of come to an end here, but uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Maybe you, since you said you were a book person, I have to ask: What is like the most important book that you you think you've ever read? Programming book, you mean? Uh, any book that we are any book. No boundaries here. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I started off Python uh, with probably call, with a book called, uh, well, I'm not even sure, like the basic programming book. Um, I think it's called Programming Python in, in O'Reilly, like a big, big chunk book, like, like this yeah. big. That's kind of, that was my um, initial book. Um, I read uh, Wes McInnes, uh, Data, what's it called, Data? Uh, you know, the data <laughs> manipulator. <laughs> Is it data analysis in Python? Data analysis, yeah. Yeah. Data analysis. The West um, McKinney uh, book? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I read that. That definitely um, that helped me. I, I read that on, uh, early on um, in, in, in my Python career. Um, that, that I, I like that book definitely very much. Um, other than that, like outside of programming, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to pull a title right away that really made a difference, I guess. I mean, I read various business books, but um, yeah, 
in terms of concrete title, let's, let's stick with these two. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, that sounds good. And uh, what programming languages should be on people's radars going into 2020? Whoa. Uh, definitely Python, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of set up this whole interview for that answer, but yeah. Definitely more <laughs> Python and less VBA. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, uh, I guess JavaScript is always good because like VBA um, or like, let's say like Excel, it's not going to go anywhere, I guess, anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always a good recommendation. Um, other than that, I wouldn't know from like personal experience. So um, yeah, I would, I think there's always, you know, hot new technologies coming out. And then there's some which which kind of probably make a lot of sense in some certain kind of um, niches out there. So, but I wouldn't be in a position to really give give some some recommendations there. So you know, just stick with with the with the good good old ones that um, you know proved themselves and definitely will be around for some some more years, like JavaScript and Python. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, what what is the call to action here? Where can people, uh, con- if they want to reach out to you, how do they contact you? I've got Twitter, LinkedIn links. I've got the excelwings.org, exceltrail.com. You're on Stack Overflow. You've got a GitHub. Like, where do? What's your call to action, and where do we send people? Well, I guess the easiest is always go to xlinks.org. Um, there is in the footer, there is, you know, a team page. Um, you find me there. Um, my most preferred uh, like social platform is definitely LinkedIn. So just type in my name there and you will definitely find me. Um, so that, that these are the, the two, two easiest channels. Okay, awesome. And then if they want to... Uh, purchase like the pro version of your software. All those links are on xlwings.org. Uh, if they want the video course is actually on there as well. There's a yeah. training tab on there. And yeah, those are- absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah. From xlwings.org, you get to, to everything that we offer. Um, there's a products page. You can also um, jump over to Excel trail, the version control system. Um, you can actually try it out online if you like to. And, um, yeah, as you said, a training is all, it's all linked there. So if you go to excellence.org, um, you will definitely find, uh, what you're looking for. Awesome. Well, it's been an honor to have you, uh, on the show and, uh, chatting here, talking shop for an hour and a half. Uh, so, you know, thank you for saying yes to this. That means you said no to so many other things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, did we, did we leave anything off the table or did we pretty much cover everything? Uh, that needed no, to guess, be talked about. Yeah. Uh, no, I enjoyed the interview. Thanks. Thanks cool. a lot for, for inviting me. Absolutely. All right, folks, we'll talk to you soon. Peace.